bottom line is, you know, every time you send, you know, they think, ah, sewer workers, that's, that's their job. You know, it's, it's not like being a bin man. All right, I know we're dealing with a lot of messy stuff, but like, you know, in, in the sense that like, you know, we have the hazards of A being like, you know, gassed or drowned or like, you know, um, trapped by movable solids. It's, it's such a hazardous job. You know, it's not, it's, it's, not, it's not a walk in the park. It really isn't. And, you know, so for every, for, so every time, like, you know, you're a member of the public who don't, you throw something down the drain, you, you're, you're really, you're, you're putting, you know, the life of somebody, because somebody has to take this out, in danger. And the, the code of practice and, you know, the, you know, the 97 regulations and all the different bits and pieces, the first thing it all says in all of these regulations and, and, and guidelines is if there's another way of, of you know, doing what you have to do without making an entry into the sewer, that is what you have to do. Welcome to Engineering Matters. I'm Bernadette Ballantyne, and in this episode, we're looking at fatbergs. More specifically, we're investigating how people like Andy Howard of Lane's Group, who you've just heard from, are tackling them. These enormous subterranean mountains of calcified fat are blocking sewer systems in cities all over the country, and removing them requires ingenuity, engineering, and a lot of careful planning. But once fatbergs have been taken out, it's not the end of the story, because these man-made monstrosities can return. Fatbergs first hit the headlines in 2017 when a supersized blockage was discovered beneath the streets of Whitechapel in London. At 250 metres and 130 tonnes, it was certainly gigantic. But then Lane's group, working as a subcontractor to Thameswater, found another one three times the size just around the corner at Blackfriars. To find out how these hideous heaps of hardened grease were removed, I went to talk to Andy at the site of Europe's biggest fatberg. You must be Andy. Yes, great Hi, Hiya, good to meet you. Hi, how are you doing? Yeah, can't miss you in that jacket. <laughs> and yeah. mine practically matches yours. Close. Close. Nearly got rained off, but we're okay. We're all good. Yeah. Right, okay, so where do you want to start? Well, I wanted to meet you here. I met Andy on a very rainy day on Blackfriars Road in central London, just at the point where the bridge meets the south side of the river. Um, Right, so the initial fatberg phenomena actually started over in Whitechapel. Oh, right, okay. Okay, so we we found that as, uh, and it just became a sort of engineering project. And then from there, this this was the next, step up and this has so far been the biggest fatberg found in Europe. Unlike the Whitechapel fatberg which was discovered when customers reported blockages, the Blackfriars fatberg was found by chance as part of a routine six-week clean to remove silt from the Battle Bridge sewer. Standing above ground Andy explained that it stretched uh, as far as my eyes could see. Yeah we're standing at one end of it and the other end is literally uh, 1200 metres away. I mean, Which direction? South. So, south, okay. so the the actual fat we dug out was about 760 metres, but there, there was there was a gap in between. So you, you've got like I think it worked out about 
500 metres, then there was a gap, and then like there was another 200 metres. Was this continuous running sewer that it was through? Yes. So this is the Battle Bridge sewer, and um, it runs from here all the way right through to, all oh, the top of my head, right, it does, right through to Greenwich, um, along, a, along, along low level one. So, uh, yeah, it runs down to a main junction point where you've got the Battle Bridge and the Arnold, they all join, yeah. and from there it runs down to Elephant Castle, it gets into a bigger line. So from here, I think, it, this, this end is basically a, 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 12, a 1200, by the time you get down to about a mile down the road, it's 1375 by uh, 968, if I remember rightly. Is it one of the brick sewers? Yes, yeah. it's all it's all it's all Victorian brick sewer all the way through. Okay, so this is Bethel Jackson's original. This design. is the this is the original design, These yeah. Are the egg-shaped sewers. That yeah. Are getting blocked with that, and this is what you're working on. Yeah. So shall we jump in the van? Let's do it. So we took to the streets in Andy's van. And he told me more about how Thames Water battled with this blubbery blockage. So um, we try and get as much information from other, depart other departments as we can, as we can. And um, we knew the, the the system was holding high. So you know, when we spoke to other departments, we said, "Yeah, we've, we've lifted we've lifted the the chamber lids, and, and everything's flowing. It's just it's just a standardised clean." So what's happened is when we've actually gone to clean it. Um, we, 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 had a, we, we have a reference point where we start and from that reference point we um, literally got in and we faced a wall of fat upstream and downstream so the, did you know what you were looking at at that point at that point no because it, it's, it's um, it was completely unprecedented I mean no nobody had seen seen anything like this before so you were faced with this wall of fat what did you do next um, <laughs> well, we, we, we literally sat there and looked at it for a day um, so we, we, we actually worked out what it was and we then had to just try and work out how far it went upstream and how far it went downstream so we then literally made um, entries into all, all of the chambers this is where things got even more interesting as the chambers themselves looked clear initially if you looked, if you literally lifted, lifted the lid and looked down, it's all clear. But like, you know, if you, if, if you got in and um, took a look upstream and downstream, there was just this wall of fat and everything was running underneath it. Now, this wall of fat was not like any fat you or I will have seen before. With its mottled, grey, lumpy, irregular surfaces, it looked more like moon rock. We might never know what moon rock smells like, but I'm willing to bet that with the faeces and urine that constantly wash over it, Fatbergs smell much worse. What's more, detailed analysis of the fat showed it contained all sorts of bacteria, including strains that are resistant to antibiotics. This fat could be fatal. So where did it come from? I mean, where we've just come out now, the cut, this, this is called the cut. This is where, there's a, there's a big gallery under here. And We're on Blackfriars Road, just yeah. to be clear. And there's a, there's a big gallery under there, and that was primarily from all those restaurants where we've just come out of. That's where all the fat was coming in from yeah. and running straight down. And where you have um, the, the laterals dropping in from, from these side streets, as you can see on the side, because it wasn't getting away, these side streets were backing up. So the customers, um, especially down at this bottom end, were, um, were, were all getting blocked. 
The yeah. cut runs perpendicular to Blackfriars Road and it's home to an array of bars and restaurants along this route which takes you up to Waterloo Station. Although the source of the fat is clear, proving individual responsibility is almost impossible and the clean-up bill therefore sits with Thames Water and you and me as the bill payers and we'll find out more about what these fatbergs are costing the industry later. To clear out the fat which technically had become a soap, the worst soap ever created because fat reacts with calcium in the water and undergoes a process called saponification. The team had to experiment. If you, if you can see over there, see, there's, there's a lid there. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't look like much, but under there, that's, 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 that's where it all started. From there, um, we got in and we saw the initial pictures downstream where it was like, you know, it was floor to ceiling, you know, 100% floor to, floor to you know, invert to crown, I should say. Um, you know, full of fat and the same, same upstream. And first, the, the first thought was, how's it getting away? Because if it was totally blocked, it would have been coming out. Yes. So uh, we, we worked out, you know, there's obviously a flow going underneath it. How much flow is going underneath it? Do we have to mitigate the flow? So all this has to be taken into has to be taken into consideration um, when when we're planning the job. You've also got a, a storm overflow down, you know, um, down there. And um, from we, we which runs down to Shad Thames. And another issue was we couldn't afford to let the sewer over weir over into the storm overflow to create pollution into the Thames. So we had to mitigate that. So we originally started at this point and we started to dig because we didn't, we, we, we couldn't work out, you know, that what was the best way to go. So we, we had literally two teams in there digging upstream and downstream because the, 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 the issue is if you dig upstream, which is, which is a sensible thing to do, it can't go anywhere. So, you know, but if you dig downstream, it will get to a point when um, it's, it's all got to come out of this, out of this, out of this entry. But uh, it, it will just keep blocking itself. So we basically had to, you know, dig up and down at the same time to try and uh, alleviate the, the pressure at this point. And when Andy says dig, he literally means dig. The thing we learned was because because everybody everybody who sits behind a desk. You know, whether you be an engineer or whether you be in planning, or, there's always a tool for this, so they say. And um, we discovered there wasn't. You know, the, 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 you've got to remember we're, we're working in a, a 1300 high by like you know um, 900 wide brick sewer with a, with a, with a flow level of it literally was 40 percent plus so the guys are working on their knees and, and the flow level is up to their chest so and this isn't clean water no, this, 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 is, this is all pure sewage, this is all pure sewage um, you know straight from your house into our laps we couldn't use uh, clay shovels because like you know in, in, a, in a confined space compressed air and like it, and, and water doesn't doesn't work well um, you know that we couldn't use electrical devices the actual um, high pressure water jets um, we used I mean there's some standardized bits of kit on the on, on the market which we sort of like adapted this includes a tool called a spinner have, or what we use to clean a lot of sewers is um, a spinner 
and basically it's a high pressure it's a high pressure water jet that um, you know uh, has, has got an end that, that spins with, a, with an offset jet so it oscillates um, and then the uh, it's got jet propulsion from the back and it's got um, the the jet cleaning nozzles at the on the side that also um, that so they they clean the side of you know the uh, you know the crown the the invert you know uh, the soffit they, they, they clean the, the sides of it whereas like you know, the bit at the front will bore into it so so that's what we used to basically bore ourselves a hole and if we, if we left it there long enough it, the weight of it because it, I mean, it probably weighs you know 10 15 kilos um, the weight of it would would literally it would, it would sink and as it sank we would then have a, a, a channel bored through the middle of this fat and then from there we'd then send the guys in with picks and shovels to literally um, smash it off the sides and um, and then clean it off. Andy says it took a while to work out what the best process would be for fatberg removal and a number of crews worked in a number of locations growing their experience over time. So right so this this six week clean turned out to be like six months. Um, we were here every night uh, we were I mean, bear in mind you, you, as you can see we're in a residential area and you've got a um, you've got a care home there you've got like you know, th this is this is all this is all um, luxury flats um, th and, and this and this is just uh, this is local residents so we had to also sort of take and this is a bus stop which we shut down every night um, we you know TFL were very good in the sense that like you know they, they understood that we we needed to work and you know we they moved the bus stop along every night so you know every, every, the, the permitting system worked well i asked andy how he made sure that his crew was safe operating in these confined spaces with nasty substances the things you're the, the, the dangers are is is first of all is, is your hydrogen sulfide levels um your, your ch4 levels that's methane your you know they they, they can fluctuate, you know, and we have to we have to ventilate. So whereas, like you know, we'll have the side entry open, we'll have the chamber we're working open, um, and we'll have a we'll have a chamber open downstream. And we but we can't over oxygenate the the actual line because if you have an oxygen rich in line and um, and you have uh, you know let, let's say you know a high CH4 level. You, you've then got like you know it's then a lovely explosive mixture so um so everything has to be monitored and you know we have you know we had monitor, you know, gas monitors here and here um you know at every point every guy had a gas monitor on and things were you know we, we the guys are city and guild trained to they're, they're rescue trained so you know they're, they're very highly trained plus we work to um, you know the, the Thames Water um, Code of Practice, the HSP 14. So it's it's the training's very high. The code of practice is very strict and very stringent, which we have to follow. And um, you know we we've also got other um, safeguards in place to make sure that you know the guys are as safe as safe as possible. Because the bottom line is that these guys go home every day. Hmm. You know, um, you know it, it's that's that's. I know we're here to do a job, but the the primary function is that like you know the guys do the job, but they go home and they go home with all their digits and they go home in one piece. Yeah. So you were saying that it took six months to yeah. remove. What happened to the fat? 
Right, so the we started bringing, we thought what we'll do is, okay, because we, we have, um, you know, we, we've got some great equipment and um, we had these big recycling combi things and we thought what we'll do is we'll suck it out and then we'll take it off to um, a waste transfer station in, in Stratford and we'll just get rid of it. But what we discovered was that... Um, a, they couldn't keep up with the demand. You know, they, they, they couldn't keep up with what we were taking in, and B, the lumps that we were bringing out, they, we, it was, um, it was coming out in, in huge colossal, colossal size, size, you know, bits. So what we, so what we devised was a, a system to literally bring out the, um, the fat in large lumps and in, in one ton bags, in one ton like you know, rubble sack type bags. Um, and we would then like um, have a, we used to have a flatbed van. So, you know, and this flatbed van would run backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards to um, the, the base treatment works, which was in Chertsey, um, just taking these bags that we kept filling up. And um, when the bags actually got to Chertsey, they would be um, they would be stored in a in, in a separate area, and it would then be taken off to um, be turned into biodiesel. Wow. Okay. So actually, it's an uplifting end to the Blackfriars story. But the reality is that unless people change their habits and stop throwing wet wipes and fat down the drains, fatbergs will return. Right now, they continue to be a very real threat to sewer systems around the country and present a serious danger to both the people removing them and the sewers themselves. Because the, the, the bottom line is, you know, every time you send, you know, they think, ah, sewer workers, that's, that's their job. You know, it's, it's not like being a bin man. All right, I know we're dealing with a lot of messy stuff, but like, you know, in, in the sense that like, you know, we have the hazards of A, being like, you know, gassed or drowned or like, you know, um, trapped by movable solids. It's, it's such a hazardous job. You know, it's not, it's, it's, not, it's not a walk in the park. It really isn't. And, you know, so for every, for, so every time, like, you know, you're a member of the public who throws something down the drain, you, you, you're really, you're, you're putting, you know, the life of somebody, because somebody has to take this out, in danger. And the, the code of practice and, you know, the... You know, the 1997 regulations and all the different bits and pieces. The first thing it all says in all of these regulations and, and, and guidelines is if there's another way of, of you know, doing what you have to do without making an entry into the sewer, that is what you have to do. Removal has to happen from the inside out. And it's here that engineers risk harming the existing pipes and sewers, some of which date back as far as the 1860s, when Chief Engineer of London's Metropolitan Board of Works, Joseph Bezeljet, devised and delivered what at the time was the greatest civil engineering project in the world. His ingenious new sewer network stopped foul sewage mixing with drinking water and put an end to the great stink of 1858 and the frequent outbreaks of cholera that killed tens of thousands of people and dramatically cut life expectancy, especially for children. Bazalgette knew he needed to build for the future and insisted on creating a system that could cope with double the two million population of London. His unique inverted egg-shaped brick-lined major sewers could maintain adequate scouring velocities even at low flow rates. 
but these Victorian marvels are now under threat because of a lack of respect for our infrastructure. You know, you'll, you'll remove it from the inside. So, but if you, if you affect the integrity of the sewer layer, because it's, 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 it's basic physics. Like, you know, if, if you take away bricks from the side, the, the roof's going to fall in. Yeah. So, um, and, 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 and vice versa. So, and is that how hard it's, it's adhered to it? Yes. Yeah. This stuff, it literally bonds together harder than um, the concrete you use for piling. So this is actually threatening the integrity of the sewers oh, themselves. Yeah, very much so, yeah. In some cases, this has meant running a new concrete liner through the middle of the existing sewer. But of course, this changes the flow characteristics of the system and lowers capacity, which is a problem when the fatbergs keep coming. The, the Whitechapel fatberg has come in again. That means Andy's work's not over, even once the fatbergs have been removed the first time. It's, it's an ongoing process. I mean, we've been back recently to check Blackfriars. Now Blackfriars is running well, uh, which is good. Now we're going back to Whitechapel now. Whitechapel now has had to have a reclaim. Right. And, um, and this is how long since the last, since the big fatberg was removed? A couple of years. So two years on, it's starting to build up again? Yes. So, and, and, and it's interesting to, you know, it's only certain sections. It's, it, it happens in certain sections, and we've now, you know, because we monitor it, we know why, how it's happening, why it's happening. But it wouldn't happen at all if people didn't throw fats and oils down the drain. And it also wouldn't happen if people didn't flush baby wipes and other non-flushable products down the toilet. Because these baby wipes were never designed to be flushed away, so they don't break down in the sewer. Far from it. They actually cause a build-up of materials, including fatbergs which is so severe that research from the UK water company representative body, Water UK, found that wet wipes are responsible for 93% of all blockages. And how many blockages are there every year? Have a guess. I'll give you a clue. It's a lot. (laughs) And I'll tell you the answer at the end. As we've heard from Andy, clearing the blockages is dangerous work, and it costs the bill payer £100 million a year. So the next time you complain about your water bill, ask yourself what you're putting down the drain. To make things even more complicated, many of the wipes actually say flushable on the packaging. Flushable just means it goes down the toilet. It doesn't yeah. mean it, it's supposed to go into the into the drainage network. It won't decompose. It won't. Um, yeah, you know, it, it won't disappear. It's it's just it's it will go into it will go into the system and it will sit there. Mm. So I mean, and you've got to remember this this system is. 1860s onwards yeah and even though it's it's an absolute marvel it really is and it, it's um to look at to actually be in and and see you know the, the craftsmanship that actually went into this um it's very clever yeah it, it is it's very clever it's very well built and it's very well thought out but you know it's like all these things it's um you did not expect no. to have baby no. wipes holding fat from restaurants and and that volume of um, things going into it that were never anticipated. No, it it never was. This confusion led Water UK to work with technical specialist WRC to create a new standard for wet wipes. Water Industry Standard 40206. It sees wipes that are genuinely biodegradable marked with a blue and white fine to flush symbol. So look out for that if you're buying wet wipes. Looking ahead, Andy and his team have got another fight on their hands. The concrete, the concrete berg is real. It's, it's very real and it's very, very common. The usual cause? 
piling contractors hitting sewer pipes and then pumping in high-strength concrete, a lot of concrete. And, um, they just kept pumping it in and it's, it's that, oh well, it's taking a lot, isn't it? Not realising that it was going into the sewer. Yep, and then right. like, you know, but by the time they realise, by the time you realise these things, it's too late. And as we were out looking at Fatbergs, Andy explained he was currently dealing with a concrete berg in central London. A, a constructor has uh, is building a is building a is, is building apartments, and they've gone straight through what we believe to be um, just just a, a lateral. I think quite a big lateral, probably you know probably um, a two two five, you know a nine inch. And the, with the, you know, while pouring the concrete, it's literally, it's just gone straight into the sewer. Um, it's effectively created an underground dam. For now, the teams managed to divert the flow away from the dam into a different mainline sewer. But that involves forcing water to run uphill. So, you, so you've, you've, got a, you've, you've got a gallery where there's, you know, these three, three main lines. And... So we've managed to divert it down Moreland Street to get it um, into to drop into the to get the excess overflow to drop into the um, London Bridge main line. Now the thing with that is you, you you've got to get you the interesting part about that is it's like it gets to a point and it does actually break its back. There is there is a you know the, the, there's a pinnacle uh, three quarters of the way along, but for that first. 100 150 meters, you've got to get you've got to get the water to run uphill <laughs> yeah so it is it is literally where you've got you've got this six you've got 600 dropping into the um, into the into the gallery you've got a 1200 dropping into the gallery um, and where it would normally run straight down down Goswell there's there's a dam and uh, this dam is literally holding at 90 percent so, what sort of volume of concrete oh, are we talking about um, I'm not at liberty to say. A lot. It, it's yeah. It's 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 you know we're we're not talking about you know um, a couple of bucket loads. It, it's it's going to be a very big, long, arduous project. By blocking the system, this concrete berg is effectively creating a floodplain for properties upstream. And the question that Thames Water is now answering is: What is the most cost-effective solution to remove the concrete or replace the sewer? And this truly is a travesty. For over 150 years, Bezeljet sewers have withstood the massive growth in London's population, managed to operate with over double the original design flows, and now, thanks to ignorance and entitlement, users are managing to destroy it. We can only imagine what Joseph Bezeljet would say if he could see people throwing fat, wipes, drugs, needles, nappies, and all of the other things down the drain that shouldn't be there. He saved London from a public health emergency when his sewer system separated foul water from clean water sources and banished cholera, but he can't save it from the users of today. But engineers like Andy are trying to save the system, and he has some wise words to share. Bin it, don't block it. And that literally, it really is that simple. Bin it, don't block it. Thank you for listening. Engineering Matters is a production of Reby Media, hosted by Bernadette Ballantyne, produced by John Young. Special thanks to Lanes Group and Thames Water. And if you're still listening, there's 300,000 blockages in our sewers every year. Thanks to Water UK for that statistic. We're going to be back with a new episode in three weeks, and it's going to be a good one. We're looking at how some amazing projects are helping the UK to improve its performance against the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. And we'll learn why this is more important now than ever before. 
To learn more about Engineering Matters, go to our website, engineeringmatters.reby.media. We're also on Facebook, Reddit and LinkedIn, and you can follow us on Twitter at Engineer Matters. Rory Harris is the executive Fatberg producer. If you like the podcast, please leave us a comment or review on your podcast app. And Engineering Matters is available on all podcast apps. Or simply tell your friends to listen. Do you work on engineering that matters? Let us tell your story. Contact Rian. That's Rian, R-H-I-A-N, at Reby Media, R-E-B-Y Media.com. <laughs>